we are looking this morning, this is kind of part two from last week, all right? We're looking at, at four parts here. We're looking at, at four people, but one story. This is four perspectives here, all from the same story, all right? Um, last week, we looked at Naaman. This morning, we're going to look at the servant girl. But I want you to think with me this morning, has anything been taken from you? I don't have to answer that out loud, but just think with me. Has anything been taken from you? Now, as I ask that, you know exactly what it is, okay? Now, I'm not trying to get at anything here. I just want you to think with me. Has anything been taken from you? And if so, how did you respond? When something was taken from you, how did you respond? Now, in a room this size, and there's about a hundred of us here right now, there's probably a number of different thoughts that come into your head. This was taken from me, and this is what it did to me. This was taken from me, and this is what it did to me. I I want you to think with me. Because the story that we are going to look, and I, I, I feel funny almost calling it a story, narrative, this, this history story here, this, which took place almost 3,000 years ago. Something was taken. And I want us to think, we're going to look at this servant girl. And, and very few words are really given to this girl. But I really believe that her story speaks volumes here. Now, just to recap and just think back with what we read last week, I'm just going to kind of summarize Naaman. He was wealthy. Naaman, he kind of had it all together. He was the commander of the king's army. And he was well-liked by this king. And in the midst of having all these things kind of going for him, he had leprosy. And leprosy was something that could, could definitely thwart his occupation. It would definitely get in the way of his occupation. He wasn't robbed of his position yet as commander. If he had lived in Israel, it would have been. But because he was an Aram, he was still able to, to serve because the leprosy apparently wasn't bad enough yet. It wasn't there yet. But this man who has it all has leprosy. And so he's trying to figure out what to do. This servant girl says, well, just go to the man of God. Go to the prophet in Samaria. Go to Israel. And if you go there, there's someone who can bring about healing. The servant girl tells Naaman's wife. The wife obviously tells the husband. Isn't that Ladies, isn't that how that kind of works? If you're married, you just, this is what you're going to do. Husband, you're going to go do this. You know, you go and do this. And, and that's what happens here. And Naaman says, okay, I'll go. He goes to his king, the king of Aram. And he says, he says, I've got leprosy. Can I, I want to get better. I need to go to Israel. Isn't it interesting that the country that they were at war against is the country that can provide healing and help. There, there is again, and last week I talked a lot about the humility 
that was required in Naaman. He goes to the place that he has been attacking for help. And God does that a lot of times where we, those that we attack are the ones that have to help us. All right. Well, the king thinks like a typical king. I'm giving you gold and silver and 10 sets of clothing. I'm going to try to bribe you. And the king also thinks very politically and not biblically. He says, you go to the king of Israel and let's see if we can negotiate something here. The servant girl never said anything about going to the king. This was not a political move. She needed to, he, he needed to understand if you need healing, you need to seek help and healing from a biblical source, a godly man. He wasn't saying go to the king, but that's where this king automatically says, oh, I'm a man of power. You go to the other man of power. And that other man of power, the king of Israel, could do absolutely nothing for leprosy. And, and this king of Israel, who should have known better, but he was an ungodly man, he rips his robes and says, who does he think I am, God? That I would be able to just bring about healing? He's picking a fight. That's what he assumes. He's just picking a fight. Elisha hears that the king of Israel tears his robes And he says, send them my way. I can help. Naaman and his servant go to the house of Elisha, knock on the door, and the servant, Elisha's servant comes. Interesting, isn't it? That Elisha himself doesn't even go. The servant goes to Naaman and just gives a simple message. Here's the message. You take yourself, you go to the Jordan River, and you wash seven times, and you will be healed. Goodbye. Naaman, who's an arrogant man, stomps off like a little child who doesn't get his way and pouts. He's angry. This is ridiculous. We've got two rivers in my own country which are far better, and they were They were way cleaner than the Jordan. He was right. They're far better. We've got two rivers. What's wrong with my rivers? I go all this distance and you tell me to go wash in the Jordan. You got it. You're out of your mind. And he's he's stomping off in anger, going back home. And the servant is, his servant is able to, to, negotiate well with him and cause him to think. Now, Damon, can you just think about this? If, if you think about it, if, if the man of God would have told you to do something outrageous, don't you think he would have done it? So since he's asking you to do something simple, isn't it worth the try? Okay, fine, you're right. And he goes, and he washes seven times, and he is healed. And he goes back to Elisha, and he says, I want to honor you, and I want to honor the one true God that you worship. It's awesome. And there's more of this story, and we're going to get there next week and the week after that. 
But I want us this morning to think especially about this servant girl. Again, there's very few things said about her. but I believe that her life speaks so much. Take your Bibles, turn to 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. Again, I probably should have written it down. Can someone give me the page number on the Pew Bible? 263. Thank you very much. Page 263, if you don't have a a Bible, you can look in the the Pew Bible in front of you. 2 Kings chapter 5. And we're going to just look at these verses that are written about this girl. And then we'll think about them together. 2 Kings 5, verse 1. Now Naaman was commander of the king, of the army, of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master, told him what the girl from Israel had said. All right, we'll stop there. I want you to think with me about this girl here. Um, And Coco, if you want, you can go advance two slides there. Uh, back one, I guess. Thank you very much. Perfect. That's great, Coco. <clears throat> Think about this girl. Who was she? Um, this is a girl. Age-wise, we don't know. She was apparently old enough to have memory because she knew about Elisha. So she's not just like a little infant. She's a servant girl. But she would have been somewhere between probably a couple years of age and adolescence would be the approximate age that she would have fallen into. Okay? So prior to age 13. On one of the raids, and whether Naaman was there or not, on one of the raids where they went to Israel and attacked Israel and took plunder back, they also took this girl. What's her name? We don't know. But they took this little Israelite girl and brought her back. To Aram. Now, whether it was Naaman who actually took this girl or someone else, I don't know. It could have been that she was put on the quote market and sold because that is what they did. And it could be that Naaman purchased her. Or it could be that in one of the raids, he just took her and said, I want this girl and she's going to serve my wife. I don't know what it was. Scripture doesn't know. But think. This had to be an indecent thing. It had to be an inhumane thing. I don't know of captivity ever working any other way. Can you imagine being a young girl, being taken from your family, being taken from your home, being taken from your country, uprooted, against your will, placed somewhere where you don't want to be with someone you do not know, you do not trust, and you are now here. 
This is her story. This is who she is. What if she came from a godly home? I think there's good reason to believe that she did. Why do I say that? Because she knew all about Elisha. She knew about the prophet Elisha. She knew this, my master, Naaman, needs to go to Elisha because if we can get Naaman, my master, to Elisha, he'll be cured. He will be cured. That's what he does. This is, this is what will happen. He knew enough about Elisha. So I believe there's good reason to believe that she actually came from a godly home. She had a godly heritage. It's interesting. Horrific things happen each and every day in the world. I look over the last just few couple months here since I've been here. And I look at all the things that have happened in our world just recently. Horrific things, hard things, things that that boggle our mind. We don't understand them. Horrific things happened back here. Scripture is truthful. It says this is what happened. It doesn't hide the horrific stuff. I am fascinated that in the midst of all these horrific things taking place, despite all that this young girl endured, she really seemed to come through shining. She really seemed to come through shining. And God used this girl for his glory and for good. In the midst of something difficult, God brought about something very, very good. This servant girl told Naaman, if only my master would see the prophet in Israel. If we can just get you over there, then everything is going to be okay. In Luke chapter 4, 27, don't turn there, but in Luke 4, 27, Jesus said something like this. In the days of Elisha, Many people had leprosy, but only Naaman was healed of his leprosy. Jesus said that, which tells us that this girl had never seen Elisha ever cure anyone of leprosy. And yet this girl had enough faith that if we can get Naaman to Elisha, It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Consider with me. Why would Naaman listen to the girl who was taken captive? Why? Apart from his wife prodding him, saying, honey, you better do this, okay? Why did the wife listen to the servant girl? There's there's more going on here, isn't there? There there seems to be this relationship. There seems to be something going on that causes Naaman, who is the master, to listen to the girl, to listen to the servant girl to say, what you say is right. And I think that what you say is exactly what I need to do. 
He listened to her. She had his respect. She had his wife's respect. They had some kind of relationship. It was probably her responsibility to do the household chores, to make the meals, to take care of Naaman's wife. But in this, they were conversing. And as they conversed, she won the respect as a little girl of Naaman's wife to the point where Naaman's wife says, you listen to her, husband. You listen to what she says. This girl knows the truth. You need to do this because I want you healed. I want you to go and find healing. And this man listens to this little girl and says, if that's what you say, it's what must be true. I'm going to do this. This little girl held the key to Naaman's healing. She did. I love it because it reminds me so much of the passage that the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1, 27 through 29, when he goes on and he says, God uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. The people of our world that believe they are wise, God is using constantly foolish things of this world to bring about the wise, bring about their shame. God uses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God uses the servant girl to bring about the healing of the army commander. This is how God works. God always reverses things. He does not do things as we believe they ought to be done. God reverses them and says, you think it needs to be done this way? Let me point you to the truth using a little servant girl. She knows the truth. God works that way, and I love how God works. And we continue even to this day to see God doing the same thing. Now, I hope this isn't too tricky. Coco, we're going to try this. Let's go to the next slide. I want to just do quickly a little comparison. Last week, we looked at Naaman, and we're looking this week at the servant girl. But I want you to think with me on just a few of these comparisons. So let's advance it, Coco. Naaman, he's from Aram. He was Aramean, all right? Let's advance to the next time. Next one there, Coco. Who's a servant girl? Well, she's from a different country. She's from Israel. She's an Israelite. Completely different nationalities. Advance again. Naaman. He was a great man. Now, we don't have, obviously, pictures of him. But to be an army commander, this is no wimp. This is no wimp at all. This is a big, burly, buff dude. All right, that's who we have here. He's a great man. Thank you. Little girl is who we have here. The opposite of Naaman to the servant girl. Let's go with the next one. Naaman, he's army commander. But for the servant girl, she is, we see, she is captive servant. Complete opposite, has no freedom. She's been taken captive. Naaman, 
fame versus the servant girl? Obscurity. No one knows who she is, and no one cares who she is. Naaman, everyone knows who he is. Everyone cares who he is. They are about as opposite as you can get. This is one amazing girl. Despite captivity, she doesn't grow bitter, but she proves to be helpful. Offering help to the one who is responsible for taking her captive. Can you imagine that? There's this part of me, the flesh would just be simply crying out, you are getting what you deserve. That's the flesh. That's, that's, that would be this part of me just saying, <laughs> it's about time. She doesn't have that attitude. That is not her attitude. She, she wants her master to do well. And in his time of need, she says, I know how you can get help. She brings help. She offers help. And you know what? For all we gather from this passage, there is absolutely nothing in it for her. There's nothing in it for her. What does she get? Nothing. I wonder what the rest of the story is for her. I really wonder. We don't have those words recorded, so I don't know. In the midst of extreme difficulty, this girl was still pointing others, Naaman, to the source of truth. We don't have time to go into this. I listed some other people that have gone through hardship. And yet in the midst of hardship, God did something good. I really believe scripture is full of it. I think of Joseph who was taken captive again. A similar story, taken captive, is in and out of prison. And yet he recognizes that God is doing something here in the midst of the pain. In the midst of the difficulty, God's doing something. I think of Naomi, who lost her husband, lost both of her sons, was in a distant land, a foreign land, and and loses all that is close to her. And yet does not, she never gives up on the Lord. She just, she is firm and solid and she continues to serve the Lord. She, when she went back to her hometown, she actually changed her name. I thought it was interesting. Her name, Naomi means pleasant. And she said, stop calling me pleasant. Stop calling me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter. You think she's trying to communicate something? It was hard. It was hard. And yet she said, I am not going to give up on the Lord. I think about Moses with all of the people, two million people that complained. He got to the point where he said, God, I would rather die. This is hard. I think about modern day examples. I think about Corey Ten Boone. All that she went through with hiding Jewish people who were 
under attack, losing their lives, hiding Jewish people, and then eventually being taken to a concentration camp, going through all that she endured with her sister, difficulty, and yet never, never abandoning the Lord, saying, God, you are doing something here. I don't know what it is, but you're doing something here. I think of Joni Erickson Tata, who this last July, I think 30th maybe, was a mark of 50 years since she was a teenager, jumped into a body of water, misjudged the depth of it, and was paralyzed from neck on down. Went through severe depression. Battled all of the difficulties of life. Didn't know what to do with it. God, this is hard. And yet did not ever give up on the Lord. God, you are doing something. Eventually began to paint using her teeth. Holding a a paintbrush in her teeth. And has sold thousands of paintings. Has written almost 50 books. Has started the Joni Erickson Tata and Friends. Joni and Friends camp for those with special needs. God is using her in the midst of difficulty. That's what God does. Romans 8.28 tells us, and I know that these words are sometimes hard for us to hear when we ourselves are in the midst of something difficult, but these words are nonetheless true because they are of God We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Whenever I go through something difficult, the part I like to focus on is God's going to make things good. And while I believe that to be true because God said it, The part that I believe that you and I need to focus on isn't so much that God's going to make everything good, but to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. That's the part that's my responsibility. God's responsibility is the part of making the difficult good. My responsibility is the loving him, And so when I go through something difficult, I have to ask myself and remind myself, Nathan, this is hard and you don't like it, but here's the question. Do you love God? Because that's what you are called to do in the midst of the difficulty, trusting that God is going to make things good. He will eventually do it. Do you love God? Do you love God? When you go through something difficult, is your focus on remaining rooted in him? Never giving up on him? Realizing that God is doing something. The challenge for us is to faithfully walk with God. Only God can take extreme difficulty And make something good come from that which is extremely difficult. Naaman 
figured this one out. I believe the servant girl figured this one out. She figured this one out too. I am not saying that the difficulty you are faced with from this last week, this last year, or whatever it is, is going to disappear. It doesn't work that way. Not at all. But rather that in the midst of difficult, in the midst of that which is difficult, God works. If you're going through something hard, take heart, knowing that God might be doing some of his greatest work. Because it's when we learn best. In the midst of difficulty, God might be doing some of his finest work. And I trust that he is. Let's pray. God, we do not understand your ways. Scripture tells us that your ways are higher than our ways. They are above and beyond our ways. But I do believe that your ways are good. Father, help us to trust that. Father, you know exactly what each of us this morning come with, what we bring to church from this last week, what we've gone through, that which is difficult. Father, I pray that we would learn from this little girl who went through something extremely difficult. But may we see that in the midst of that difficulty, Father, you did something good. And God, you work in a very similar way. In the midst of our difficulty, that which we are faced with, you just might be doing some of your finest work. So Father, may we have a heart that fully trusts you. And we pray that you will give us glimpses of that goodness along the way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.